Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and organizations identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those current trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. I am delighted today that our guest is Ken Wiley. Um, Ken has been on faculty at the University of Calgary, Mount, uh, Mount Royal University, and Thompson River University in Canada in, 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 in adventure-based academic programs. He founded Mountains for Growth in 2013 to help individuals and groups gain personal insight and wisdom through their mountain adventures. Ken developed the concept of adventure literacy based on the idea that adventure is always presenting information to us. Our job is to listen and harvest the lessons. Ken holds a bachelor's degree in physical education, um, outdoor pursuits, is a member of the International Federation of Mountain Guides Association and the Association of Canadian Mountain Guides, and is the author of the book Buried in 2014, which is his path navigating through tragedy. So this Voice America series, my intent is as the world of work is changing dramatically and what leaders need to attend to is changing along with it. And it's really hard for many of us to keep pace with the change and find an appropriate way to navigate the transitions that we're facing. So this podcast series of an hour show a week is designed to help leaders identify some areas that they may not otherwise stay current with and package it in short elements that are practical and actionable. So the outcome of today's discussion is intended to help listeners come to know the deeper purpose of adversity of failure. So Ken specifically, while he's a mountain guide, is heavily focused with organizations and their leaders and talking about how they navigate through the adversity that they face, which in some cases has been quite different than his own. So in some ways to help dissolve judgment and move forward with new ways of seeing difficult events. This is particularly important when failures in our current time can be very public. So we as leaders have limited private time to make sense of the failure before it becomes public. And in some cases, this publicity can be humiliating and seem career ending. So navigating failures with grace and humility and with a mindset of growth can be a skill that only only can that makes or breaks leaders' careers, it can have a profound impact on their lives overall. So, Ken, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Let's start a little bit with your story. I realize I 
tried to do an intro but doesn't at all do justice to who you are and how you got here. Well, um, my journey as a, as a mountain professional was in part to work at an operation in central British Columbia out of Revelstoke where we were backcountry ski touring. And what that means is that we were we used um, skins to climb up the mountain and and um, take the ski, skins off and ski down. So the the notion was was to ascend peaks and then ski down them under human power. And on the third week of the opera, uh, of our tour of my work there, there was a tragic avalanche one that um, claimed the lives of seven people. And, and the event was instantly global. Um, I remember being living in Revelstoke and there were TV and radio um, broadcasters in my cul-de-sac in the, in the home that I was um, about to live in. And, and the pressure seemed, you know, quite unbelievable. And the um, the event seemed more than I could handle at the time. And so this this was the start of a really long process. Um, of course, for many years, I I, I uh, felt grief and and felt a sense of. Um, um, survivor's guilt and of course I felt a sense of, um, of that the idea that we weren't sharing the whole story the conventional wisdom at the time was one where we didn't share details about the avalanche with family members oh goodness and, and so um, family members um, of course, wanted information about why this event happened, but the the legal advice at the time was to to not say anything. I was actually told by a lawyer not to even say anything to my wife, and and so it was one where there was there was information that I was carrying that and information that I knew about the event that the public or family members didn't have. And, and so what that amounted to being for me was I was carrying a, a whole, whole amount of information that I knew to be true, but it wasn't, it wasn't, well, the conventional wisdom was that I wasn't supposed to share it. Interestingly, one of the families initiated a, a private investigation um, into the, into the event and hired a, a man by the name of Frank Bauman to come and do some research on the event and to gather information at great personal cost to themselves. So one of the things that I now know is that families um, of victims really want um, information. And of course there are people who, who wish to sue, but they're, they're gathering in, they're, they're, most of them are trying to gather information in the process of suing because they just want industry change and industry growth and industry development. They just want to know that the event isn't going to happen again in the same way. And so, um, 
it wasn't until seven years after the event that I decided to write and write Buried and write my account of, of what happened. And there were numerous errors that we had, that we had made, um, that, that needed to be shared with, with the larger public. So the larger public could learn about how better to, to travel in the hazardous environment of winter. But so the families knew that why their loved ones perished. And so that process was one where I, I would say that the event owned me until I, I went through this process of sharing all the things that I, that I knew about it and also things that I could learn about it. And one of them was, one of the key lessons for me was the understanding, the difference between social courage and physical courage. I was very physically courageous as an adventurer, but I wasn't very socially courageous. And so that awareness of being socially courageous is one where I could say to families, you know, I just, I knew that the, the slopes that we were traveling were hazardous and they had a, a particular layer in the snowpack, but I was afraid to be confrontational. I was afraid to step out of hierarchy. I was afraid. Mm. To, I was afraid to um, um, articulate my truth. And there are many other lessons. Um, the other one is about um, another key lesson is about um, connection, human connection, and often authentic human connection. Well, we know this to be true. Authentic human human connection is a result of being vulnerable. And, and I think that, that the public and families, if there's some, some difficult event that leaders are traversing, as, as we were in this, the families just want to know that, that we're human, that we're, you know, we may have been doing our best at that given moment, even though our best wasn't very good, but we were still doing our best at that very given moment. And that, um, and that there's growth. And then there's accountability. So, so there's so much to discuss here. We titled this segment focusing on failure. How did that impact you? And, and you and I have talked about this at length, how long it took you to really process for yourself and use this absolute tragedy for for families to accelerate your development as a human being and a leader. What was that process like? The process was, um, well, for me, it was, was um, akin to a, a daily practice, one where I would come up against something that would, was scary to me. And I would think to myself, wow, you know, I, I, I really, I really, you know, don't want to have to face this particular piece. And, and then stepping into it anyways. And so, you know, kind of from a, from a mythological standpoint, we, we have no end of stories about the dragging, dragon chasing us. Um, but my experience of it was when I turned to face that which was, was frightening, it, 
it blossomed into something that I didn't anticipate. It, it ended up being something beautiful. Um, and so to give specific examples, I remember I, I went on a journey to go sit with family members and, and tell them, you know, it's like we didn't or I didn't do um, the job that I had intended and, and your spouse or daughter paid the price. And every time to a, to a person, I was met with compassion. Oh, my goodness. So they weren't, they didn't express the emotion that you, I am assuming you expected anger. I was, I was expecting anger. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that when we're transparent and we, we access our humanity, that's the thing that trumps all of it is that because I think that all of us can recognize that that um, that we're human you know, none of us does our job perfectly and sometimes you know we do our job for many years and we we don't suffer consequence and we've just been lucky and other times we we um, we make one mistake and we we suffer a huge consequence and I think it's, on some level, I think we all understand that. I think we understand as, as human beings that, um, that sometimes, sometimes things have really profound consequences and, and that um, all, we, all we really require of the situation from others is that they're honest with us. You know, as you say that, one of the things I wonder is how long did it take you to get honest with yourself? And again, I say this based on what I've learned f- about you so so very respectfully. It sounds like it took a very long time to, to face within yourself what happened. Absolutely. But I think that that process is one that, um, that we can streamline and practice. I think that it's, for me, I, I suspect it was in part um, my own personal journey, but also a cultural construct where, where we, don't, we don't take personal responsibility or accountability for our actions. And the, the cultural construct is one where we dodge and weave and, and um, set up smoke screens. And rarely do we step into... Just owning it. Well, it sounds like there were legal ramifications or at least the perception of them that also drive that social construct. Yeah, and I think that those are, you know, to a certain extent, those are real. Mm -hmm. But to a greater extent, they're not. The medical profession in North America has been adopting a... um, a uh, trans policy of transparency in, in, in many hospitals and and the idea is that there's clear communication so that not only do do um, do patients understand the risks to a greater extent they also understand that the the doctor or the the attending surgeon is is human and that oftentimes it's processes that need tuning and fixing and and the only way that we can really tune and fix those processes is by being transparent and 
and owning them and, and making them something that's on the surface that we can, that we can actually correct and, and deal with. And so there's a, there's a different wisdom emerging where, where transparency is, is the order of, um, order of the day. So on that note, I'd like to go to break because I, when we come back, this is a longer answer. Transparency is hard. Admitting that we even made a simple mistake, it can be embarrassing, uh, humiliating, uh, any number of emotions. And when we make a medical mistake or a, an adventure mistake like you did, there have to be just deep, deep feelings of accountability and um, ownership of what happened. And so, again, I'd like to explore how, what was your process when we come back for being able to own it and then have those transparent discussions and ultimately write a book about it? Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders, Driving Thriving Organizations. Today our guest is Ken Wiley, and we're talking about experiences that all of us have as leaders that could be labeled in some way failures. And in some cases, these end up being public. And we're talking about how do you navigate 
the range of emotions during during mishaps ranging from small to large such that we can be tra- own them be transparent a- and move beyond them both with our colleagues or our clients or our patients and also as leaders how do we use those to really develop as human beings because it's that development that can be the lever to make us deeply effective significantly more effective so Ken you've talked about the role of ego and the years of process before you wrote the book and meeting with families can you tell us maybe a little bit of your timeline how did that what happened immediately after and then in the years after so immediately after I was I think that I was I felt grateful that the headlines were nature's to blame for the avalanche. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt grateful for that because I think the, the, I guess the adolescent energy in, in, in that was kind of woven into the fabric of my being was one where, Oh good. I'm not, there's nothing I, that I have to learn here. There's nothing I have to do here. I'm, I'm not accountable and I'm not to blame. But I think that there was also a part of me that understood that there was something different. And, and then the years passed. And, and interestingly, the, the person I was working for was, was, um, was the lead guide. And at the time, I was working as an assistant. And so the other thing that happened was that they took a lot of the heat, um, both in the media and, on, and online on a on an online um, forum called Telemark Tips, which Telemark skiing is a way, um, uh, a way of backcountry skiing. And it was um, on that site that the, the leader that I was working for took a lot of heat. And so I, I, I just kind of dodged in the shadows. I mean, I wasn't he- you know, held accountable in, in my industry because I was working as an assistant guide. But interestingly, inside... I knew that there that I played a role. I knew that there was a piece that was mine. I knew that there were things that that I did or didn't do that led to um, the tragic loss of life of of several people. And so that truth eventually was something that I was well. It was something that I was carrying, and it eventually had. A, a profound negative impact on my on my health. Mm. So, can you say how you knew um, what it was that was having that impact? What did well, that look was, like? How did I know? Well, that's how I see it now. At the time, it was like, wow, you know, I've got joint pain. Oh, I've got like this frozen right shoulder. And then, oh, my back is out. And interestingly, when I shared the idea that my right shoulder was frozen, a friend of mine completely unsolicited said, yeah, it means you're not sharing your wisdom with the world. That's what the right shoulder means. (laughs) Ah, okay. And that's why I wondered, how did you differentiate between, I'm just getting old, I had a hard job. Yeah, Um, and, and, you know, it's this idea that we, you know, that 
our health is in part related to what's going on kind of on a spiritual level. And that was exactly the answer I was looking for is that it didn't just come to you in an email. No, no. Well, it kind of a spiritual email. (laughs) And I, I remember collapsing in, in horrific back pain on my home office floor and the words, okay, I'll write, came out of me. And That's interesting. And, you know, I envision in my mind's eye this, this spiritual body with a, a voodoo doll of me. <laughs> and they were just inserting pins until I would, I would actually pay attention. And here, to hear the message of, it's, it's time you sat down and told your story. And, and I, you know, it, Maureen, it didn't have to be that difficult. And yet it often is, isn't it? We're, as a society, we're not taught these things. We're not. And I think that that's what I'm interested in sharing is, is, mm-hmm. is helping people through the process of, of stepping into social courage and being accountable. And that's what I'd love to hear more of. We kind of keep pointing to it. But what is that process? How did you get there? Because you said early on you hesitated to to make observations, and I'm imagining people spending a lot of money to get where where you're guiding them, and then to say, oh, the weather's not good, too bad you lose, probably meets with some pretty strong resistance. So yeah. what, what – go ahead. Yeah, the – you know, industries have have um, have cultures, and they have kind of codes of being. And and to you know, in my case, that was something that I had to traverse through. Was you know, it's it's really difficult for for mountain guides to be transparent because they can always see that. Well, you know, we work in a really hazardous environment, and and things happen. And boy, you know, I've been really lucky in my career that nothing's happened. And so it's really hard, hard for us as individuals in, within an industry to, to be transparent and, and lay, lay lessons out on the line. Um, and, but, and certainly we wouldn't want, you know, the, the code, if you will, isn't, isn't to, to be transparent when other people are involved. And that's really hard, but the the larger story is is one where I think that we're shifting. We're shifting from being adolescent in kind of our makeup and shifting into adulthood, where we where we're accountable and just say, "Well, this is this this is the truth of what happened. This is how this event occurred." That's it's interesting to hear. Especially translating it back to businesses where seemingly the impact is not as great, but I'm thinking of someone talking about a smear campaign as well, that the the perceptions of people around us vary so significantly. How do we navigate and own and be transparent and yet not just damaged professionally? As you said, you were able to 
navigate around that a little bit because you were the assistant guide and yet you physically felt it. Yeah, it's 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 one where we the information that we're sharing is about being professional. It's about improving our performance. It's 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 all about about um, coming to know a truth. It's it's not about presenting the truth. Like certainly there were you know for all the people that that experienced the avalanche tragedy that I was involved in, we all have a different piece. And it's about it's about sharing our pieces. It's it's kind of akin to if it's if there's a if it's a map that we need to navigate the next section of of our careers, you know, our colleagues and people who experience events, they'll have a piece of it. And and it's important that we share our piece of that map so that we have a whole picture so that we can navigate the next section. And yeah, and mountain guiding has really it's it's really become something that's that's that requires those bits of information because as we become more technically proficient, we're going to more and more hazardous places. And so we need all of the information and to make in order to make the best choices possible. So so I want to go back to the idea that with as much information as you have and the idea that we are piecing, I love the, the, again, the construct, I guess, that there, for any experience we have, you have your truth and I could have a very different experience of that. I I was held up at gunpoint um, in a hair salon. There were three of us, the, the haircutting guy and two of us who were getting our hair done. When we described the person who held us up, the the salon manager remembered his facial hair probably more accurately than we did, and his hair. Um, The other woman remembered the gun, and only the gun. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm not sure what I... I had some details about his physique. I certainly remembered the gun. But I I don't think I was nearly as accurate as the hair guy. And so that idea that not about my personal story, but that when we have experiences, especially traumatic ones, our brain chemistry shifts and we go into fight and flight mode and we're uh, filled with cortisol and adrenaline and our ability to think and process rationally is diminished significantly. And so being able to identify and move beyond that as quickly as possible seems foundational to making good decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that, um, that biology is, is something that's there to protect us. And, but it's also something that, that, um, that we also need to learn to address and respond as opposed to react to, to different situations. And, and so the process of, of being transparent, you know, we may be experiencing a fair bit of fear around that, but to recognize that, okay, there's a piece of this that's really scary. 
Um, but I also need to address and own that fear, but also kind of move into the situation as, as best as I'm able um, with as much clarity as I'm able. Um, but the, the other part of it is that we have to, in some ways, um, trust our perceptions because they're, they're, you know, they might be, they might be, they might be, um, you know, they might be challenged a little bit, but they're all that we have to go on. And the only way that we're going to, only way that we're going to heal our perceptions if they're, if they're warped is, is by that whole dialogue of going into them or, and, and, and sharing them. You know, that's an interesting point again, is for leaders, uh, I use three sixties and tools like that Mm -hmm. so that they can address misperceptions so the gap between how I see myself and how other people see me, yes. even if I'm more humble, may mean I don't step into places that I could because I've underestimated my capacity. If I've overestimated, I step in places I shouldn't also. And so really having the mechanism to calibrate my perception seems like, especially in leadership roles, is foundational in both how we interact with people and how we, the judgment calls we make in situations that in some cases are make or break for an organization. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. Nature is always trying to teach us about pairs of opposites, night, day, male, female, summer, winter. And, and you know, one of the pairs of opposites in this case is is owning our truth, but also having the humility to recognize that well, there, there might be parts of it that are inaccurate. And, and to hone it, we need both pieces. We need the humility, but also the, the honesty to share what we perceive to be true for ourselves. And so we actually, you're right, we, we hone that to razor sharpness by, through a process of those two pieces interacting. I love the idea of the opposites and... Say more about your process of how they interact. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we live in a society where where we polarize things. And, and it's a never-ending place. And it's, and it's totally dysfunctional to polarize, polarize situations and polarize arguments. And so, um, one of the one of the processes that I you know needed to embody is that well, it's both. Um, you know, for me to heal and move forward with information about about this tragedy, it was yeah, you know, the guy that I've worked for has a totally different perspective on what happened, and that's okay. There's there's truth in that as well, but the truth is often much larger than than we than we perceive or even kind of want to perceive sometimes and and it, the truth is everything of course you know of course if you know nature played a role in this event um and but it but it's also true that i i wasn't blindsided I, there were elements of it that i saw coming mm. so, so i have a different piece um, that I can add to that larger picture. And so the pairs of opposites are, okay, so 
nature played a role in this. It's partially to blame. It's not entirely to blame. And I think that there, there in this case, there was a, a human element to that. And I think that we're reticent to kind of, you know, open open the conversation up to, to greater possibilities. And just saying, of course, that's true. That's true as well. Um, yeah, and that also takes humility. Um, because just recognizing that that another another story, even though it's not perfectly in line with with what I have in my own my own mind, is in part true. You know that it, that does seem like the hallmark of maturity is being open to different points of view. When in fact it calls your own perspective into question. Yes. Yeah, you know that's that's that can be that can be challenging and 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 the piece for me my journey with with all of this was to i i know that my journey as a as an individual was to learn that and embody that it's like yeah this is my truth and this is what i need to put into the world and i also recognize that other pieces are true too and and that um this is not you know when i wrote buried i put it out there and but it's not the definitive piece of that event um yeah it's it's not everything and and it's and it's really important to listen i think probably the biggest hurdle for me in healing and and entering into a place where i was actually being more professional was to listen to myself and to, mm. to listen to the lessons that were we're bubbling up from deep inside and then having the humility to listen to others. Wow. On that note, let's go to break and we will be right back with Ken Wiley and Maureen Metcalf. And we're talking about his, Ken's experience with the tragedy he faced in, in being buried by an avalanche and how do we as leaders leverage the the mishaps that happen in our professional lives and our personal lives to really deepen our capacity. And as Ken was just brilliantly saying, how do we use it to refine our judgment? So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. 
visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, our guest is Ken Wiley, and we're talking about the impact of fear on leaders. And so one of my passions, as people who've listened to this before have heard, is the idea of leadership maturity. And part of the way we mature as leaders is to metabolize what we would call disorienting dilemmas or crises and leverage the failure or the crisis as the the growth catapult almost. And Kenyon, when we first met or before we met, I watched some of your videos and you talked about the ego part of your journey. And I think that is something really rich for us to, to talk about in a real life example of what what does this maturity look like? Because what stood out for me was what you were sharing is in fact that very precious experience of a human being maturing as a leader by being willing to, and you've talked about it through this whole interview, being willing to go inside of yourself and face your own roles and become a different person, make a different meaning out of what's going on in your life. So can you share a little bit more about that? It's interesting that you say become a different person. And I think that that's, you know, that's one of the, the biggest challenges with, from a, from a professional standpoint from, of, of maturing is that it's really easy from, from an egoic standpoint, it's really easy to kind of stop the learning at the technical level. And you also mentioned, you know, about changing your person. If we stop the, the learning at the, the technical level, then it's, it's something about, um, you know, it's, it's challenging and we have to face, you know, kind of this ego defense of, of we didn't do our jobs perfectly. But there's always something that underpins that. And it's, we, we know that, um, that from, from research that it's an error, errors in judgment that typically are the largest contributor to errors in the workplace. And we, we know that from the, the police profession and the and police and fire. And so to go that next step and identify something that's very personal 
is, is I think, key. Um, but also really quite frightening because we're, we're looking at pieces of ourselves that we not, might not have ever looked at before. And so, you know, for me, it was a process to look at social courage. It's like, wow, you know, I, I really haven't been socially courageous in, in, in my life, not only in my career, but my life. And I need, I need to step up and in, into a place where, where if something isn't going the way that I, I perceive it should, or if I have a piece of information that I need to share, even though it's unpopular, I need to share it. And in those unsavory bits of ourselves, we might have history with them. And so if we have history with them, then, it's, then it perhaps is even harder because then we realize that we open this whole, whole place that we haven't visited before. And I think that our, our egos protect that to, to a large degree. In that way, I think our egos are designed to keep us alive and safe they're not designed necessarily to propel growth. And in fact, the models that we use are called ego maturity. So it is, in fact, the work is to help the ego mature. And it does or can feel incredibly frightening. Yes, absolutely. Um, And... You know, fear is okay. I mean, fear can be our friend. And you mentioned that the, the ego is there to help, help us survive. And I think fear, fear is, a, you know, part of that. But fear can be, when misapplied, can, and our ego, when misapplied, can be um, misdirected and, mis, yeah, and, and lead to a place that doesn't really help. And well, c- certainly if, if we're blocked by fear or ego then we don't mature. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for you personally, what, what was it that allowed you to face that fear and face your ego and do the, what sounds like very deep and profound work to move to what I would imagine is several levels of maturity higher now than you were when this happened. Yeah, I think it was the process of writing. Okay. And I would write a passage, and I would say to myself, "Oh my God, I can't say that." And then and you know, taking the time to stop, I stopped everything, and I spent a period of three years reflecting and writing, and and produced buried during that time, and. And that piece was was challenging because I had needed to carve out time out of out of all the other things that you know demand time. But it was also critical in that process, that slow process of recognizing truth and letting truth lead the way and putting things in the writing that were true, even though they scared the living daylights out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm getting goosebumps telling you about mm-hmm. it because it, it was a, a, a process where you know I put a sentence in and go, oh I can't do that and take it out and put it back in and take it out <laughs> <laughs> and eventually just realize oh this is ridiculous like what am I doing and so 
in some ways, you know, it was the, the warrior's journey and the, the, and I was battling myself. And, you know, from a mythological standpoint, we, we have many, many tales that, you know, try to teach us this process. Um, and, and it's an important one. You know, Gandalf falls into the black pit of despair with the Balrog and the Balrog might represent, you know, our ego and, and we need to battle it. And, and that, that battle, we through that battle, we, we turn from Gandalf the gray to Gandalf the white. Mm, mm-hmm. And so your battle was the three years of writing. And I'm assuming, it, I mean, having written, there's the put the sentence in, take it out, change it, change it, change it. But for me, there was also hours and hours of walking and reflecting. Like, yeah. what, is, what does that mean? What does each, because something would come up and then I'd, there's a feeling or a thought or a complete change in making sense of something. And then I'd go back and, and it wasn't a rewrite of a sentence. It's a rewrite of a whole segment, especially when writing some of the case studies. And who I am, to your point, changes through the... Um, very personal process of writing and yours was way more personal than mine has been. Well, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's all individual. I think that we all have different things that we're, we're traversing and and learning about and it's all very individual. Um, I mean, one of the thing, one of the, one of the things that scared me most to write about was, um, Vern Lunsford. Um, Vern Lunsford was a man who was behind me before we traversed into the slope that avalanched. And he okay. said, and he said to me, I, I don't like this situation. I don't like being below the other group. I just don't like this situation. And I said, neither do I. And mm. one of the deepest lessons that I learned, and Vern didn't live. Oh, God. Okay. And so we traversed into the slope and it avalanched. Um, well, what I said to Vern was, oh, I'll go check it out. But I was too afraid to, to communicate the larger picture. And, and I exposed all of my, all of my group to the, to the, to the slope and it avalanched and Vern didn't live. And, you know, when we're, when, when we're making decisions in, either high risk in, in high risk environments, we'll just call it, call it that because lots of environments are high risk. They might be financially high risk or socially high risk or, or physically high risk as this was in this case, you know, to really deeply listen to the people that we're leading is critical because we all have a piece of it. We all have a stake. And my, my lesson, my deep lesson, you know, in, in this situation was, a misapplication of hierarchy. If I had really listened to Vern, I would have said, yeah, this is crazy. Let's not do this. But I, but I had this, you know, I believed in the hierarchy of the other guide. He would have been upset that I didn't follow. And I also believed in the hierarchy of myself. It's like, okay, well, I need to, I need to do this and Vern needs to follow. And it's profoundly unethical. It's, it's something where, you know, especially when somebody 
suffers the consequence of our actions and they spoke up. Yeah, as you're saying that, I, I can, and having hiked and been afraid of things, it's certainly nothing nearly as extreme as you're doing, but I can feel the the sensation of, of the hiker being concerned. Yes. Or the adventurer being concerned. And also you as the guide having to navigate your own fear and ego and meaning making and place in the world being having someone above you in the hierarchy mm-hmm. yeah and, and pedestals are really kind of dangerous things um and there's only really one direction we can go from a pedestal um and and so to have the humility to open the comp and you know, when we're off the pedestal when we step off the pedestal and we as leaders have the humility to ask the question and listen to all of the answers, we end up making better decisions. Um, and we don't put the pressure on ourselves to come up with you know, the right solution for everyone. It's you know, great leaders listen. And they listen and they take time. You know what, let's end on that note. Great leaders listen, and they take time. So I'm going to read back a couple of, uh, several other things. First, just, Ken, thank you for sharing this very profound experience for you as openly as you have with me and with our listeners. And as several people in um, in our listener group are leaders who were also navigating their own way of making meaning of a failure or a misstep and they're feeling either embarrassment or ashamed or fear about how to navigate forward. It just, your candor in sharing that the way forward is forward that um, that it is in meeting the ego and the fear with rational good judgment to go forward are certainly critical um, and that we don't grow if we're not stepping into that. So you have a couple of programs that I want to make sure you can give our listeners contact information for and then I'll, I'll wrap us up. So Mountains for Growth... And also adventure literacy. How would someone find out out about these? I do workshops on adventure literacy, and there's a a page on my website at www.mountainsforgrowth.com. And um, yeah, that's a that program is really fantastic. And and what we what we do is we we traverse into um, the whole idea of paying attention to what the real lesson is. And so an example might be. Um, you know, my journey of understanding what social courage is um, through the, the process of reflecting on, on this event. Um, and, and also other programs that um, um, I, I do some leadership training programs. I have a gap program or a, a bridge building program where, um, where, where, we, where we build a bridge. Um, and so people can um, jump on there and have a look at the different, um, different offerings. 
Great. Thank you. And I apologize for cutting us off, but I want to make sure that um, we are able to wrap up. Thank you to our listeners. I would love to hear your feedback. Either email me at info at metcalf-associates.com or we have a new group. It's on LinkedIn and it's Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. If you are interested, we would love to hear your feedback or pose questions. Many of our guests are also part of this group so you can continue the dialogue with me and with them. Ken, thank you so much. Thank you, Maureen. This has been, um, it's been lovely to spend time with you. And you and I will talk offline, but thank you to our listeners and we will rejoin you next week. Happy 2018. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.